0: This week's episode of How They Train is brought to you by Pillar Performance. If you've been listening to the show, you'll know that I bought some of Pillar Performance's Triple Magnesium Powder, and literally my sleep got noticeably better. And so I just reached out to them and said, "Hey, would you guys be interested to support a few episodes of the show and and maybe give me a discount code that that all of my listeners can um, can use to try it for themselves?" Um, and yeah, luckily for me, they did that. and so I really can't recommend enough that if you're training for something and and you want to recover better, then we know how important sleep is for that. But but even if you just want to feel better day to day and 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 know the importance of sleep and maybe struggle with it a bit, that you head over to Pillar Performances website and and literally grab some for yourself. Um, they also have lots of other micronutrient products that. You know things like support your immune system function, um, other ways of, of helping your recovery, um, increasing your energy levels, things like that. Um, for example, I've just I've just got grabbed some um, immune support there, and and I'm really enjoying it because I was getting sick quite a bit. Um, so yeah, if you do want to try any of Pillar Performances products for yourself, then head over to their shop. I'll um, put all the details of, of their, like a link to their website in the description of this episode and I'll chuck the discount code they gave me. Um, that discount code is HTT10 uh, and it gets you $10 off your first order. So yep, if you want to try some, uh, click, the, click the link in the description and, and head over there and, and grab it. Welcome back to How They Train. I'm Jack Kelly, and today I'm joined by the guy everyone in the triathlon world wants to hear from, Sam Long. Sam came up in the sport as a big, talking, confident guy with a reputation for training hard, but is now known for so much more than that. Sam's established himself as one of the very best long course triathletes in the world, and he really proved that, even to the biggest of doubters last year with his second place finish at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. I can't wait over the course of this episode to go deep on Sam's training, his career, and ask him all the questions we want answered from him. I put up on Instagram a story asking you guys what you want to hear from him, and I'm not even joking, about 600 of you replied. So Sam, I've got to start by asking about the, the most requested requested question, um, but, but first let me give some backstory. Sam raced the Ironman 70.3 World Championships last weekend. Uh, a race he had targeted, not many people on that start line were specifically targeting that race, but, but Sam was one of them. Um, and I guess the, the funny thing is Sam probably went into that race hoping everyone would be talking about him afterwards, and he was, but not for the, the right reasons of winning the race, rather being given a penalty that seemed like a, a final straw as like a something-has-to-change moment for Ironman and triathlon fans. A TO or technical official gave Sam a five minute penalty for an incident on the bike that in my opinion was like a hundred percent complete bullshit. It put Sam in a position where he was completely out of the race. Uh, and and this came off the back of people already being super frustrated by Ironman giving almost half the field penalties at the Ironman World Championships. And yeah, like I said, it just seemed like that this call with Sam has made people stand up and say, this really isn't good enough and, and we need more from the sport. Sam, can you talk to us about the incident and, and what happened from your perspective?
1: Hey, yeah, welcome uh or I guess welcoming myself onto the show and it's great to be here and if we've got 600 responses, we might be here all night. But yeah, no, it's great <laughs> to be here. Um yeah, obviously the the penalty is well, actually it's not controversial. That's what's interesting. Almost everybody is on one side. And essentially what happened is um there's really no rule for it. It was essentially a triple pass or a double pass. So there were three pace lines in a row. I was passing a group of uh, about a 30-person group. So if you can imagine, that's a that's a pretty hard pass. And you know, I did the math quickly in my head and you get 25 seconds per person to pass. So 25 times 30 is like 600 seconds roughly. Actually, it's over, which is over 10 minutes. So I quickly did the math and I said, I'm going to be passing for 10 minutes here. And I'm going to be over 400 watts for 10 minutes here because that's that's what's requ- required. So it's important to remember if you've seen any vi- video footage that I've been doing this this surge for well over six, seven, eight minutes already when this goes. And I, I pass the group, and um, uh, fellow Jackson Laundry hops behind my wheel. And then as I continue to pass, I guess he felt my my pace wasn't fast enough, so he then decided to leapfrog and pass in front of me and in this moment, um, it, there's this total moment of confusion. I sit up, I look around like, what the fuck is going on? That <laughs> this isn't going to be good because I'm, I'm reading two rules in my head, which are the rules Iron Man always tells to us in the press conference. Um, and the first rule is if you started passing someone, you must complete the pass of them within 25 seconds and you can't back out. So I'm seeing the person on my right that I'm passing, which I was close to going, I still have to complete this pass. And then I'm conflicted by meeting this other rule with with Jackson that once you are passed, you have to start to make immediate rearward progress within the same 25 seconds. So I'm just going, okay, well, how do I do the best of both of these scenarios as well as possible? And surely one of them is going to get slightly violated in this situation. Um, And lo and behold, uh, that was what happened, basically.
0: At the time when it happened, what was said to you by the TO?
1: She just, so she came up and she just showed me a blue card and said, you have a drafting penalty. Well, no, she didn't even say you have a drafting penalty. She just showed me a blue card and said, you have a penalty. That's all it was. You have a penalty. At which point, I couldn't remember because I've never gotten a penalty before, um, a drafting penalty before, if blue or yellow was the more severe infraction. So I actually asked like, hey, I'm really sorry. Which penalty is that? Is that the 32nd penalty? or the five-minute penalty. And the ref actually like went totally off on me and was like, don't fight with me. You have the blue card, go to the penalty tent. And that's that. And then drove off. So that so then I was still left actually wondering if I had a 30-second penalty or a five-minute penalty. Um, and, and that was that. And then actually the whole Ironman broadcast was there. So I was looking at them like trying to say, "Hey, hey, why do I have the penalty? And they were all like, we don't know. Surely this is wrong. So they 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 were like calling into HQ to try and get stuff changed before I got to the penalty tent. But uh, yeah, things didn't get changed.
0: That's that's weird because it seemed like at the time there was a heap of confusion. You could see you couldn't obviously watching the broadcast. You couldn't hear what was being said, but you could see your face and you could see that you were clearly confused about what was going on. And it didn't even look like you were angry to me. It looked like it just yeah. It looked like you were confused. So you're telling me that you didn't say anything more to her than like which penalty is that, and she's just started going off on you, like yelling at you?
1: Yeah, to my, I mean, yeah, to my recollection, I I literally asked, hey, hey, what penalty? Because they always stress to us in the in these pro meetings that like you can't argue with the refs, so basically don't even bother. So I I was like, well, there's no point in bothering. But I at least I was just at that point I was still maybe hopeful of saving my race, and I was maybe hanging on to some hope that it was just a 30 second penalty, um, rather than the five minute penalty. Um, cause then once I found out, okay, it was the blue card and I started doing the math and then the Ironman broadcast was telling me, Oh, it's the five minute penalty. I'm kind of like, Oh, this is, this isn't going to be a good day.
0: And then when you were in that penalty tent, which was obviously like, honestly, it might've been the most entertaining moment of the entire 70.3 worlds. And it sucks for you that that was the case. Um, uh, and it's pretty funny because, it was like a massive battle up front for the win between, you know, Magnus and Ben Knut and and Christian Blumenfeld It actually was a really exciting race, but I reckon a lot of people have sort of forgotten what happened in the race, but I don't think many people who watched it have forgotten you in that penalty tent after getting the penalty. What was going through your mind? What were you thinking? What were what was being said between you and everyone else in there?
1: Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I got to that penalty tent and I was in just like a fuming rage and and I, I, there were more swear words said than regular words said out of my mouth. That is, that is for sure. Probably about a 75% to 25% swear word to regular word ratio. And yeah, I mean, I was just so pissed off. I was trying to explain why. I was asking how I got this penalty. Again, they said, we don't know why you have the penalty. It, it doesn't make sense to us. And then actually, you know, that they were trying to convince me to finish the race, at which point I was telling them, like, there's absolutely no way I'm finishing this race. Like you guys have just screwed me beyond anything possible. There's no way I'm putting on a show for the rest of the day, like to benefit to benefit the brand. Like I, I want nothing left to do with this this race. Um, but then then as you know, I went on to finish, um, despite telling myself the entire rest of the race that I wasn't gonna finish. Um And then, yeah, I mean, then I just sort of started. But the crazy thing that not a lot of people have talked about this uh, is the temperatures of the day made this penalty so much more severe because it was only like 22 miles into the race, and the temperatures at this point in the day were like 44 degrees, and it was actually kind of at the top of a of a short little descent. So. I just started sweating when I came into that penalty tent, which was awesome because my body, my temperature was finally up. I was finally generating some warmth and I was finally starting to feel good. And then standing in the cold for five minutes, just like absolutely sapped my legs And it, 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 the rest of the race. I felt absolutely horrible in my legs because my core body temp went down and I couldn't get it back up the rest of the day.
0: So for the remainder of that bike ride and, and the run, what was your mind? What like? Where was your head at? What were you thinking? Were you just? Were you angry? Did you? Were you doing that thing where you were like planning what you were going to do and say and who you were going to talk to afterwards? Like, can you walk me through the the next couple of hours of of being in Sam Long's head?
1: Mostly, it was just for the first bit. It was just this like absolute blinding rage. I mean, just like you know, the bull chasing the red, the red carpet, and like I wasn't thinking straight. I wasn't thinking about anything, but what I was doing then the rest of the bike, like if I ever saw anyone too close, I was like, give these people a drafting penalty. <laughs> but cause that's what's crazy. I saw a lot of drafting going on after I left the tent kind of then in whatever the, the slightly back portion of the race in, in groups and there were no officials. And it was kind of like, how crazy is this? Like I got called for a call when there's actually like a lot of blatant drafting going on. Um, which which then just made me more angry. And so I kind of finished the rest of that bike just totally pissed off. Started the run totally pissed off, just running in a blind rage. And then actually like sadness, just complete and total sadness took over me because I realized like, oh, this rage isn't gonna get me anywhere. And I'm still like, yeah, I mean, way far out from the top 10. Um, and then I just started thinking like, well, I've put so much of my soul into this race, so much energy, so much hard training. I mean, you know, the last one was September 18th to October 30th. It's, it's literally 13 and a half months I put into this race that just went out the window like that. And that sadness just overwhelmed me. And then I was, I was battling between, okay, do I, do I now finish what I started? Like literally with, with at mile 12. I was almost like, I'm just gonna walk off the course at mile 12 and a half. I was tempted like, oh, right before the finishing shoot, I'm just gonna walk off because I don't actually want to cross that finish line, but I do want to finish like the race. Um, so then I can at least know like, okay, I did, you know, uh, <laughs> 13 miles and skipped the final hundred meters because I didn't actually want to cross the finish line. But lo and behold, I crossed the finish line and and now is the day.
0: It's a funny year for you, Sam, because this has been one of the, in my opinion, this might be the best year of triathlon, long-course triathlon that's that's ever been. I don't know if there's ever been a year like 2022 with so many races and big races and big results, and it's been really fun to watch. And I look back at your 2021 and I, I go, like, well, Sam's one of the best long-course triathletes in the world without question, and you were proving that. And you were proving that regularly. You were racing frequently and you were having, like, awesome results. You know, I look back to your ninth place, place, I think it was Clash Daytona. And that was the moment for me where I'm like, Sam's going to, he's going to take that next step. And then sure enough in 2021, you did. And then 2022, I was like, well, I I just assumed this would be the year that you would go to the next level and, and take that, that real next step and, and establish yourself as, as you know, a top three, top five long course triathlete in the world. And I guess I, from a long way out, pencilled in the Ironman 70.3 World Championships as a place that that I really believed you could win. I assumed you would target it. I thought everyone would be coming off the back of doing St. George and Kona. And I just thought, like even like looking back in January, I just had you locked down. I I'd sort of constantly write notes about about the, the sport and what I think is going to happen. And I had you as one of the big favourites for it. And it's just funny looking back at 2022, coming off such a successful 2021 with with like what this year has been for you. Like you've been involved without question in the two most talked about moments in triathlon in 2022, in a year that's been as entertaining and and as big as ever, and neither of them have been about a race. They've both been about – one of them was with the incident with Sam Laidlaw at the Collins Cup, and and then the other one was obviously this one that eclipsed even that – which, which was the, the drafting incident. It's just funny, it'd be like, if you picture those, those videos or stuff that's like top five moments of, of the year or whatever, if we did that with triathlon this year, one and two very well might be you and neither of them are actually with your racing. How, how does that, how, like when you reflect on that, does that frustrate you? Are you, are you do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy the entertainment of it? Um, or, or does the penalty just piss you off and does the Sam Lailo piss you off and, and you just want to be known for your racing?
1: Yeah, it's, it's totally interesting how you say that. And it frustrates me. Both of the incidents frustrate me, or I guess it frustrates me more that now, you know, the things I've known for this year are, are events that didn't even have to do with good racing per se, you know, um, although the Collins Cup was, was pretty good racing. Um, and like a year ago i would have loved oh great i'm being talked about for this other stuff but like i feel like i started 2022 saying like okay i want to be less involved in the drama and i just want to focus on my racing and start to be known more as a guy who just races and then it's like boom these two things have just absolutely exploded um the lay incident like i'm actually i'm not really upset about that anymore um i think it was kind of just a a confusion of two different people we didn't know each other well enough yet um and yeah it just it, it was sort of just a moment but really in reality like it didn't feel like a big moment of my life it just then was captured and and sort of then became a big moment after the fact um that then had like a lot of repercussions but also a lot of uh learning experience um i think both for for me and sam laid low we both learned a lot from that incident and what's great is then Um, you know, uh, the reality is we're both great athletes, which is awesome. So, uh, it's not like one of us sucks and one of us is good, we're both great, which is awesome. Um, but then this incident here, like, just yeah, in the moment was so disturbing and continues to be disturbing. Um, so it's not like something that oh, got happened to get caught on camera and then is like been magnified by the media. Like, I would say it's even bigger in how I'm dealing with it in my body, and my mind, because it's been a really traumatic experience. And then I'm just sort of like, whoa, how do I, how do I move forward from this? And then, yeah, I mean, the world's kind of talking about it as well.
0: Moving forward from it and what's happened after it are like two things I'm really interested in and, and can't wait to get your, your, your opinion on after you finished the race. So you, you ultimately did decide to cross the line. What happened then? Like, have you what did what happened to you directly after the race i'm assuming having been inside your own head for so long thinking about it you know like a a blind rage about it then upset about it it's obviously occupied your thoughts being isolated on a race course for that long did you cross the line and and were you just did you just unload on anyone did was it all you like I think everyone can relate to that, have, having had something that's made them so frustrated. But they're just thinking about it in their own head, and then when they come to other people to talk about it or whatever, just, that just it blows up and it becomes this big thing. Did you did you start talking to people? Was is, was there conversations afterwards that you remember and can take us inside of?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. After the, the kind of after. Um... Well, so the first thing that kind of happened was like, I I saw my girlfriend and she came up to me and and we were kind of talking and she gave me a hug. And then I just, I completely broke down. I mean, I just, you know, sobbed like a baby for, I don't know, two minutes or something. And then sort of just let go of that, you know, the initial feeling there and then got up and kind of went into the the pro lounge, which is where all the pros were. And, you know, almost everyone was talking to me. And this is what's interesting, right? Because you watch the the Labo incident and you think, okay, like Sam's a firecracker. He's going to go off. And and everyone's kind of even telling me like, like Jackson fucked you. That's what, that's what everyone's saying to me, you know? <laughs> um, and he's in that same room there. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, like at this point I was, I think I was just somewhat measured. I wanted to really figure out what happened before I decided what to do. And, and what's interesting, he even kind of came up to, and talked to me and, and kind of said like, so I I don't really remember the conversation all that well because I was pretty mad inwardly, but, um, he kind of was saying things like, Oh, that was a bad call by the ref. That wasn't really my fault. That was so on and so forth. And, and I mean, I remember kind of somewhat wanting to have a reaction, but I just sort of stood there and said like, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I basically just didn't interact and then moved on to the, to the next conversation. Um, and then, of course, I did speak with the Iron Man officials the had refs um, who came up to me and then wanted to tell me that it was because of like a slotting in penalty that happened earlier than the incident. Um, at which point I told them that I that I didn't believe them, but that I was open to their thoughts if they could if they could prove it with video. Um, and and then I, and then Slow Twitch was there, the magazine article as well wanting something about the uh, penalty from me and Iron Man. Um, and they said Iron Man said they want to talk about the penalty basically. So then that was that.
0: It's that's probably in my mind, the penalty itself sucked. It was both fascinating, entertaining and bullshit. But the real like disturbing part of this entire story is the aftermath, I believe, and the way Iron Man dealt with this. And Ironman are getting a bit of a reputation for for not giving a fuck, excuse my language, about the professionals in this sport who, in my mind, and something that I'm really big at at pushing uh, through this podcast is they built the sport of Ironman. We all know about Ironman because, uh, and a lot of us know about triathlon because of watching the professionals at, at the Ironman World Championships. And, you know, the brand is what it is because of the professionals. So for them to come out after the race and... I believe, I'm, I'm not, I obviously can't prove this. I believe they, they knew they got it wrong. And to avoid backlash, they've lied to the public and to you and came up with this idea that, that the penalty was for something else. And it clearly wasn't, you know, the, it, it very clearly was for that moment. And they've made the call, the technical officials made that call. And I don't know whether the technical official just doesn't really understand the sport, doesn't get it. By, by what you've said, maybe sounded a little bit grumpy and frustrated and maybe a little bit power trippy. I don't know. That's how it sort of came across to me and, and hearing what you've said sort of confirms that to me a little bit. And then they've lied about it being for something that happened 90 seconds earlier. And I, I, it just didn't happen like that. I've talked to many people about it now, in yourself as well. Can you, can you talk to me about that them coming out and and lying about it being about something else rather than just confronting the fact that they got it wrong and it was a bad call and hey they probably do need to train people better and employ better better technical officials and spend more time caring about the pro sport
1: yeah i mean you know video footage is the video footage is really clear and if you look at the well what's actually crazy is the video footage of this moment and the five minutes before it is has now disappeared on the relay on the replay. If you go back and try and watch it, so I think that that right there tells you all you need to know. That okay, there's four there's well there's actually eight hours of video footage if you look at the men and women's pro races combined, and somehow miraculously five minutes of it is gone. Um, but but I, I'm thankful to have it recorded, and and the video footage is is very clear that there was there was certainly no slotting in penalty happening before. Um, I will say, you know, like Ironman has created the pros as well, right? The the pros helped create their brand at Kona, but also they created us through Kona as well. So, you know, I think they, I think Ironman can do a lot for us, for, for the professionals and they can do a lot for the sport and they, they do continue to do a lot for the sport. They put on some of the best events, but that, We can be. We can all be better, and that more can be offered for the pros. I think. Um, And what I'm taking out. What What I'm really taking forward with this is how to get the rules improved going forward. Um, And And we're already working on that. I'm already working on that with multiple people. Um, We're gonna have a kind of like a document that we're gonna sign by all the pros, and then or all the pros that want to sign it, which I think is everyone, and then and then present that uh, to Ironman, which I think will be great. And and that's kind of two aspects, two ways I see that is that one, like we can try and change the rules, which I think is one really thing we would do as well, but that will take more time, such as getting like a 20 meter draft rule instituted with longer passing time, but but that is going to take more time. And the the second way to do it is just to have like a better process around the penalties. Okay. So like a four I principle, like basically two refs have to see in order to give a penalty or you create a review booth. Or you have live, you know, every ref has to wear a GoPro and that's submitted, say, to Jimmy Riccatello sitting in the booth and then they review it. Or the penalties get modified to two minutes for a 70.3 and four minutes for an Ironman. Or you, the penalties are just added at the end of the day rather than five minutes in. So so we're kind of working on exactly what we would like these things to look like and then presenting that and, and hopefully seeing some, some good change. Because... I I do really think the important thing to consider is, is my penalties really kind of been the straw that broke the camel's back. But I I sat out on Kona on the sidelines and I was like, what the heck is going on with all these penalties? I know the people who are getting the penalties. I know how they ride. I know the kind of racers they are and the penalties at Kona. Some of them were extremely surprising who got them.
0: Yeah. I, 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 exactly. Like I said in the intro those ideas that you've that you've just discussed, to me, and I think to everyone listening, they're just no-brainers. They're in every other sport in the world, and I guess that's what's frustrating. Like Ironman is not this small mum and dad company that that doesn't have money and and can't build the sport to be a, a fully professional sport. It's a choice, without question. They they choose to invest a pretty limited amount of money. Uh, compared to what their total revenue is into supporting the professional sport that's the big problem I have if it was a if it was a struggling company and the sport was struggling and you know they couldn't afford to give more prize money or invest more into um, hiring and training um, officials and paying for better coverage and and employing great commentators and um, you know building the sport if it was just really hard for them financially I would understand but it's just not really like they, the sport makes so much money, um, from, from those of us who participate in it, that they can invest in the pro sport if they choose to. So I love that you're using this experience you've been through to go, well, fuck it. I'm going to try and help make some change here. And, And all those, those rules, um, the rule changes or the, the new ideas or, the ways to change the sport, they're just so obvious. Like they're in every other sport. It has to happen. If it doesn't happen, then you just know Ironman don't, don't care about the sport. And I don't know, at some point it's like a lot of things have to change. Do you take the lead and, and do it for other things? If, if this works, is it, does it just stop at the rules? I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one. I, I think the sport, like you said, I, I think Ironman and triathlon go hand in hand. So they sort of need each other. The professionals need Ironman and, and Ironman need the professionals. It would be good if, if, if they could invest in each other equally. Um, back to your specific point and and your specific incident, Sam, Have you had communication with anyone from Ironman since that conversation after crossing the line, where they they came up and um, really really tried to lie to you? Have you have you had any any communication since then?
1: Yeah, no, no. There's been no communication since race day.
0: Yeah, I heard a lot of people on on social media calling for the fact that. This doesn't seem right and that you should sort of be I don't know if compensate is the right word something should happen like at the very least it seems like an apology to me is is in order I don 't know what else they can do like the rules are the rules it happened is there anything that you feel like Iron Man could do to to make this up to you
1: uh, you know I, I just I, I'm quite certain nothing is going to happen so I guess I've kind of lost any uh, hope of anything happening um but yeah I mean those those things would be nice but I, no I don't think they're gonna happen
0: <laughs> and the last question i have on this for you you're obviously talking about making change but is this going to change the way you go about things in the future are you are you going to keep going to to man branded races are you going to go and Target like, are you going to pencil down your races next year and say, "Well, I'm going to target the Ironman World Championships or the Ironman 70.3 World Championships or this Ironman race"? Or are you has this has this jaded you and and you're going to make a a decision to to start choosing PTO races or or other branded races?
1: Yeah, I think the the implications for me are are likely somewhat significant, and it's interesting because this year I kind of already did that. This this was only my second Ironman branded race of the year. Um, which what the other one was may Ironman world championships and then 70.3 world. So I only did two of the world championships. Um, otherwise um, I did a lot of challenge races. I'm, i mean, I'm leading the challenge family world bonus right now, which is great. And I did a lot of the PTO races um, now that it's interesting because I've always, I've always loved the events that Ironman puts on, but it's it's, uh, yeah, it's gotten complicated racing their events. Um, particularly like, okay, with the PTO, I can go and make 2K minimum, even if something like this happens. Um, then at least you're not leaving in with no money whatsoever, um, which which is an, an important thing just from a financial standpoint. Um, and, and Challenge Family takes great, great care of their professionals from setting up home stays. Uh, they're also just in beautiful destinations. They took really good care of me this year, but like I am not at all sure if I'm even going to race 70.3 worlds next year. Like I'm just not sure I see the point. Um, I mean, I was the most prepared for any race I've ever been in my life here, here, and it got thrown out the window. So to me, it's kind of like, okay, well, what's the point of committing to 70.3 worlds again? And um, I'm not even sure about Kona next year right now. (laughs) Um, I might just race all, all PTO and challenge, challenge races. And maybe, you know, the, the local Ironman branded races uh, if they like, Build into the schedule to peak for these other races. So, so I'm still, yeah, definitely deciding. I mean, I am, I am doing Ironman Arizona here in two weeks um, to try and get that Kona qualification down to leave it open. But right now, my mindset is kind of like, okay, if I don't qualify there at Ironman Arizona, then then Kona's out for the year because uh, there's too much other good and fast racing going on with huge prize purses to be chasing this uh, Kona qualification as a top pro. It just doesn't make any sense to be chasing these uh, rink-a-dink Ironmans basically to qualify um, when you can go and be winning 100k for a win uh, at a PTO race compared to, you know, $8,000 at an Ironman race.
0: And um, I can't wait, like I've sort of talked to you about, I'm really fascinated to hear about your training and and like I, like I sort of talked about in the intro, you came onto the scene and you were known as someone who trained hard. Like I think that was a big part of your appeal and I think it's something triathlon fans love. You know, the brashness and the confidence you showed, that can divide opinion a little bit more. But a, a person, an athlete who trains hard, it, it sort of – um, it makes people want to be like you, or want to follow you, or want to see what you're doing, and and I think that was a big part of part of your popularity, and, and I still think it is. There's in the same way as the Norwegians, maybe not quite to the same extent, but in the same way, there was a little bit of like, um, you, sort of like mystique around the way you train and the big training sessions you do, and 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 yeah, like I was sort of starting to say, like I said to you off air, I can't wait to, to chat to you about that. I really want to go deep on your training and and get to the bottom of it, and. Of the, the six hundred replies we got to that that message a lot of them were about training but we've already touched on it the second biggest question everyone asked um, before we get onto your training and, and racing Sam was Sam Laidlow and and we already sort of brushed over it but but let's go back and and ask the questions that everyone wants answered on that quickly Sam Laidlow and you do you like each other
1: ah uh, I mean I can't speak if he likes me right now i'm I'm somewhat neutral on him. I won't say I have have a super positive opinion, but I also want to say I have a super negative opinion.
0: And while Sam Laidlow was racing Kona and having one of the biggest and best performances of the year with his his uh, race off the front at Kona ultimately coming second, what were you thinking watching that at home?
1: You know, so this is what's really funny. Like, uh, everyone thought I would hate that. I was quite honestly, rooting for him to win. I love to see the underdog win. And I love to see someone who who grabs the bike by the fucking balls and rips everyone's legs off and starts running ahead. I was like, I I was truthfully hoping he would win. And I was even watching a Kona party. And I, and I walked in, you know, it, whatever, we walked in halfway through the marathon and, and I walked in and everyone was like quiet going like, oh, we're not sure if we can talk about this. Like, and I was like, I'm rooting for the guy to win. Like, <laughs> so, so I guess that shows, you know, that I'm, I'm maybe not, uh, holding on to what happened too seriously. And, and yeah, I mean, I I'd like to appreciate a great athletic feat when I see one and, and the way he raced and it it was a huge standout performance. And like I said, I think the, I think the problem was we just, we didn't get to know each other like at all, basically before this incident happened. And so it was just, uh, it was really hard to read each other, uh, in the moment. And I feel like I've gotten to gotten to know him a little bit more since then and and kind of see what his intent was behind it because I think for me the the intent was the question behind it and if the intent was malicious and, and really trying to come at me as as like a person and not just as an athlete but as a person then, then that was a serious problem but I think it was uh I do think it was mostly just trying to have banter and have fun and yeah I mean I guess you, you could say I read that wrong but there were a lot of signs that i wasn't wasn't reading it wrong in the moment because it was pretty intense
0: it just crossed my mind that for people who don't know what we're talking about the collins cup one of the the big pto races they they set the groups up in they set the race up with groups of three and those people race each other and sam long lionel sanders and sam Laidlow were racing each other and in the the build-up um they do some interviews and they get the three people together and they ask questions. And in one of these particular interviews where it was Lionel, Sam and, and Sam, uh, it, things got a little bit heated and it ended up with Sam, Sam long, not Sam Laidlow, Sam Laidlow saying some stuff and Sam long getting a little bit, uh, I don't know what you got frustrated, upset, uh, and storming off outside of the interview and, uh, throwing the, throwing the microphone and it went viral. It was, uh, it was a massive moment in the sport this year. It was almost, a little bit mma or ufc in nature wasn't it sam like um i guess that's one of the biggest questions everyone asked is because of that because it felt a little like that everyone wants to know was it staged were you faking it or or was it real
1: yeah you see but this is where like i just i just kind of chuckle because nothing, nothing with me is ever staged so it was it was 100% real and yeah, it was just 100 percent real. And and it's cool that it was caught on camera. And this is where I think our sports really in a funny place, like almost kind of with the PTO is like they're all about kind of trying to create this drama and trying to create this stuff. But then, like, let me tell you when it happened, like suddenly, like everyone's asking me if I'm OK and if I'm fit to rip. like not not like, you know, fit like athletically fit to race like if i'm mentally fit or if i need to go into like an insane asylum to race and <laughs> and, and i'm like dude that like in a ufc fight like you know if you want to create and stir stir the pot and get people pissed off like that's that's what happens i mean in my opinion there was actually no problem with it like it's fine to get pissed off and and it's fine for uh athletes to kind of want to go at each other's throats especially if, if, you know, the PTO in this instance was creating a platform to do that and to kind of attack each other. Um, and then I think you got to let the racing go and do its part. And that's, that's then what was like such a weird, like, it was like 36 or 48 hours between, you know, when I stormed out there and then when we actually had to race and then it was kind of like everyone saying like, Whoa, like we didn't mean this to get personal, like everything's all good and happy and jolly. And like, let's, let's just uh, let's just be cool. But to me, it was like, I I was attacked and, and, and I was upset and I was, I was wanting to go to war. Um, and, and then that's what happened. And, and I don't, I honestly don't think that's a problem. I think it's fine as an athlete. Uh, if you get, if you get worked up when, when someone attacks you, um, and then you go and you solve it on race course and, and then things are solved and then things are better. You know, it's, it's no different than like if you had, you know, a lot of emotions or a big problems, say with like someone in high school, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure you've had things like this and okay, this person was saying this about you and this person was saying this about you. And, and then you guys are maybe fighting over the same girl and things are getting upset. And one guy wins the girl and then it's okay. You go to the school ground, you fight it out. Like one person, one person gets their ass kicked. And then often those people become friends.
0: Uh I uh, I like everyone else, I was just picturing something that happened exactly like that back in primary school for me, Sam, maybe high school for you. But um I guess what I wanna know is with with this entire Sam Laidlow incident, you came up in this sport as a brash kid, like I sort of have have said a couple of times now, you were very confident and you were the guy who was talking a little bit of smack to, to someone who, who you maybe looked up to, or, or you wanted to challenge. And, and I guess in a battle of wanting to become the best triathlete in the world, that, that, that can be what happens. It's, you know, a testosterone filled sport where you're, you're trying to be the best Um, to then be on the other end of that and have someone coming at you, maybe in a similar way to what you did on on your come-up, what's changed for you in that period where where you sort of didn't like it happening to you but were the person who was doing it to someone else? Did, is it just because you've changed as a person and, and you see things differently now or or is it just that you want to be the guy going after people And and it was a weird change of roles for you to be like, oh, now I'm the established one with the kids coming at me?
1: I see the situation a little bit differently. Um, so in general, I would say, I don't, I actually enjoy it and I don't mind if people, people come after me. And I know that sounds like, okay, well, what, what what the heck is he saying? Because he clearly minded when Sam was going after him, but I, but I've had a lot of people, a lot of other pros talk shit about me. Um, and I've never, I've never had a problem with it, which is why it was, it was interesting here. Um, and I feel like at the time I was just reading it like I was actually being attacked as a person. Um, And, and I know this sounds like, okay, it's just nuance or it's like, what's the difference, you know, but like um, everyone else would always say, for example, or including myself, like, okay, I have a lot of respect for this person. They've accomplished a lot, but I want to bury them into the ground. Um, So you sort of start by acknowledging like, okay, this person's a good athlete and they have a lot going for them. Not like, not, Sam Sam Long's a clown. I don't like him as a person. He can't swim, bike, and run. Um, and and I know it's how it sounds it. That's the thing. Like now that I've reflected on it, um, to me there were big differences at the time, and I realize now it maybe seems like there weren't big differences, and, and maybe that Laidlaw just took it to the next level, which is which is maybe fine, and that I just needed to take it better. But also, I think I just needed to meet the guy and and to know him and to know his sense of humor. Um, and then I don't think there would have been a problem because I do think he actually had had or has respect for me and that it wasn't all just like blatantly attacking me.
0: Two more questions about the laid low thing. Then we're going to dive into training. Now that, that that's happened, you guys obviously, the whole point of it was what, there was a build-up to a showdown at this race. But I don't know if you feel like this, Sam. I feel like the triathlon community as a whole feels like this that the Collins Cup isn't really a race. Like, it doesn't mean as much as, say, having a head-to-head with someone on the Queen K or on a Lee Drive, for example. Was the, was the fact that you went on to beat Sam Laidlow at, at that Collins Cup uh, group enough or do you are you just, like, hanging out for a chance to go toe-to-toe with him in a big race and, and, and try and beat him?
1: Uh I guess, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. For me, the Collins Cup was enough. Um, I mean, I then, I then raced him in Dallas as well, just, just three weeks after. Um, but for me, it was kind of like I just wanted to put the whole incident behind me. And, of course, I, I look forward to racing him. But what's interesting is, like, at Dallas, when I passed him on the bike, like, I, I didn't even have any thought. Like, what happened at the Collins Cup didn't even cross my mind or, like, oh, I have to – I have to beat this guy more than I have to beat anyone else on the course. So already at that point, it was, it was kind of neutral to me. Um, But I I will say like after, after his performance at the Collins cup, I don't think a lot of us were thinking about him too much at that moment. Um, And then that's why then when he went and, you know, drilled Kona, I, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to it. To some battles with him in the future, and and I think there's going to be more than one. I think there's going to be many.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I secretly I'm a fan of the sport, and I love the entertainment side of the sport. I was like a I was a big fan of you coming into the sport because I'm like, oh well, at least he's doing something to make people like want to watch the sport. I I love that about about athletes, and so I secretly loved the the Sam Laidlaw and you beef. I I liked that you took offense to it, and and I'm like, oh, this is actually going to make me want to watch the Collins Cup because before it I literally didn't want to watch it I hate the format I think it's pointless it's not a real race to me I don't really understand why the PTO stick with it and why they don't put that money into making a PTO world championships that you know actually competes with Kona so that the athletes have another avenue to win a, a big world championships that people might care about instead they do this like really weird format that doesn't really work with triathlon in my opinion and so I was waiting for a chance for you guys to race again. And, and it, when, you know, you came third at, at the, the US Open and Sam Ladlow came fourth, I was like, oh, surely Sam Long gives him a little bit here. and But it sort of was like, oh, it didn't really mean anything. And I, I wondered that. I wondered if because of how easily you beat him at, at the Collins Cup, whether you were just like, oh, Sam Laidlow doesn't really mean that much to me anymore. You know, like I beat him easily at the at the Collins Cup. I've beaten him quite easily again here at the US Open. But it, it is interesting that now after Kona, it's like, well, Sam Laidlow's just put in probably the second best performance of anyone in, of the entire year. Now, do you want another chance to go at him? And it, it seems like that is maybe the case a little bit for you.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it's totally interesting, right? It was kind of like, okay, after you know, after Collins cup and, and then he had a pretty good race in, in Dallas as well. Um, but it was kind of like, okay, I, I, I feel confident I can, I can easily beat him. Um, but, but I don't feel, I, I would not say I feel that confident now that I can easily beat him. I definitely cannot easily beat him. Um, I would still, I would still put the money on myself that I'm looking forward to to some future battles with him. And that's, that's what's great. I think about it now. And, and now, like, I would actually welcome smack talk from him. Yes. Um, and I think I could also give it back to him because I would know where he was coming from as well now. Um, but what's crazy now, you know, is if either of us put any smack talk in either of each other's directions, you know, the two sides would just go to war, which is actually great for the sport as well.
0: Yes, exactly. And that was my last question about this incident, Sam, is okay you've got respect for each other you're both clearly two of the best long course triathletes in the world you've had a shitty year for your standards you know you've got a point to prove you've 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 got so much more in you and sam's had one of the sam laidlos had the best year of his career to date and he's he's shown you up a little bit at kona you know you were the young kid who was who was supposed to do that kind of thing and and did do that in 2021 and now he's stealing that crown a little bit my my big question is next year for the benefit of the sport do you two just do you reignite the fire at a race and do you build some promotion like like a ufc style promotion and and give us fans and fans of the sport something to to invest in and, and to want to watch and to want to pick a side for
1: yeah i mean so let, let me put this out there now i want to race him in jackson laundry at the collins cup
0: <laughs> I wish you would do it somewhere else, not the Collins Cup, though.
1: Yeah, I know we should do it somewhere else, but uh, but the Collins Cup is is still a pretty good place for it. But no, I think I think uh, I'll see Sam definitely at times. Uh, of course, he's French, so he's over in Europe. But still, there's so much international racing going on. I think we'll probably see each other like at least three or four or five times next year.
0: I can't wait. The Jackson Laundry one. I was going to get past the the. I wanted to move past the drafting incident. And the Sam Sam Laidlow stuff, and then go deep on training. But that, I I just have brushed over the fact that Jacko Laundry was involved because to me Jacko Laundry is like a real nice guy. of The sport, I don't think he's the kind of guy who would really want to hurt anyone or do the wrong thing. But you know, are you and I sort of I sort of just it didn't even compute with me that you said that you guys had that conversation and and you really didn't want to hear him say it was the the referee's fault. Like you sort of maybe felt like um. He his role in that was bigger than what he was playing. Uh, have you guys talked since since that that conversation post the race? How do you feel about about Jackson? Did you feel like it was um, his fault and, and he did you dirty in that incident?
1: Uh, we haven't spoken since then, but I do want to be clear. I don't I don't think it was totally Jackson's fault. It's a complicated situation. I think you know if I had to place blame, I, I would still place most of the blame on on the ref and Ironman um and and those are actually different i think it's hard even to blame the ref in a way because you know refs make the calls based off what they see, and maybe the ref should have been better educated but i always feel you need to have safeguards in place for a bad call from a ref because refs will make bad calls they're they're human beings they will make bad calls and so the fault lies in that there's not a system made for reversing bad calls it's basically a bad call is final now with jackson i've i've been thinking about this a lot and it's a bit of like a moral uh you know if you went to philosophy class it's a bit of like uh prisoner's dilemma kind of kind of thing how to think about it and and the closest thing i've come to is like did he do anything against the rules no he just past me, which you could say, okay that he was just doing his own race and racing his own race. But like let's look at cycling for a moment. Um, there's no rule in cycling that says right like, okay, if one of the leaders of the race gets a gets a flat tire or something, everybody else waits up. There's no rule that says that, right? In fact, you would think it's the opposite. Oh, hey, the leader just got a flat tire, let's all attack and work together and make sure he's 10 minutes down at the end of the race and no longer a threat yet everyone waits. Why do they wait? Because it's good sportsmanship. And what is, what is good sportsmanship mean in sports? Well, I think it means everything because if you don't have good sportsmanship, like how how do you have fair play? And so basically there's, there's a fault in the rules where anybody could it's like a checkers move almost like where anybody, okay, if there's a line of people passing, Like, and you're falling behind somebody, boom, hop right in front of them. And that person is very likely to get a penalty in Ironman. Very, very likely to get a penalty in Ironman because the rules aren't written for this situation. There's basically no rule that says what to do. And that person is almost certainly either going to violate not dropping back right away or not passing someone in the allotted amount of time. It's it's just not possible to meet both. Um, And yet, like, I've obviously been in this situation tons of times. You can look at Dallas. I was in this situation... Magnus was passing a group. I was, you know, the legal distance behind him. Like I could theoretically have put Magnus in the same situation. And I've also been in this situation with Lionel tons of times. And never once have I ever passed the people while they were passing someone because it's kind of just like, I, I don't know why. I, you know, I guess I could have always done it, but I but I never did it, I guess. So that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I think he didn't technically do anything wrong. And yes, he followed the rules, but it's like, same with if you were in the Tour de France and you were in second place and first place got a flat tire and you attacked well, you know that wouldn't be a super cool move
0: now let's move off this that's we've sort of talked for the first hour and it's just been all about drama and I guess what I've always wanted to talk to you about is, has been not not any of that stuff um, it's just a, it's just how your year's gone um, but but what I've been fascinated in by you for. For the entire time I've followed your career, Sam, is is the way you go about things. Um, like I've said multiple times, now you came up known as someone who trains hard, and and that's what I love talking about. It's it's my real passion: triathlon and and people who train hard. So, can you talk to me about what training looks like for you? What does let's let's go this seventy point three world champs that was that was taken away from you by by that call, and you weren't given the chance to show the the fitness you were in. What did your training block into the 70.3 World Championships look like? What 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 did a typical typical week look like for you or maybe a big week look like for you in in terms of volume and 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 then break it down more specifically in in your swimming, your riding and your running throughout that week?
1: Yeah, totally. So basically, you know, after Dallas to St. George, there were there were 6 weeks there, so it was a pretty consistent 6-week block and then well, a 5-week block and then a 1-week taper. Um, essentially. And there were really no super big weeks, but they were all pretty big weeks. Um, And and you'll see that when I start to tell you. Um, My smallest week in this time would have been like 29 or 30 hours. And my biggest week would have been like 34 hours. Um, And and so the fluctuation wasn't really that much there. and, And they were all really between like 1800 and 2000 tss. Um and now as far as like the distances each week um and and this will be somewhat surprising. Well, it's not surprising to me, but everyone always says I need to work on my swim, but the swimming was was an absolutely massive focus during all these weeks um, and so both every Monday and every Friday I double swam. Um, and then saturday was my only day off from swimming so then tuesday wednesday thursday and sunday i swam um so i was doing i think i think that's eight swim is that eight swim sessions well yeah well it's six it's nine swim sessions a week i think that is that i was doing and i, and I was getting then with that between like 30 000 and 34 000 yards a week uh all with like pretty good intensity it's not like i was just getting in and, and banging out yards you know the the structure of the workouts was set up in a way that it was, it was very well structured between long sets, sprint sets, kick sets, kind of everything you expect to see technique sets, everything you expect to see in swimming. And then really I follow the same thing with my cycling all year is I, I do two big rides a week, um, Tuesday and Saturday. And then uh, those both usually have intervals and then is a more aerobic ride, usually between three and four hours. And then, I do some other filler rides, usually on Monday I ride as well, Um, and then Wednesday I ride as well, Um, but it's really the the biking is done on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and then running is done on Wednesday and Sunday for me. Sunday is always a long run, also usually with tempo involved, and Wednesday is a harder, faster interval session, but still always at least... 15 miles um, or 14 miles maybe once I'm like 10 days out from the race
0: so obviously everyone wants to hear about your swim and I've got plenty of questions to to go down uh, with that but before we get into that I want to talk about your strengths first which are clearly your bike run You're as if long course triathlon was actually long course duathlon, duathlon like you're a you're a top three kind of guy in the world without without question in my mind so these long hard rides you do like the the uh, Tuesday, Saturday rides, for example, what do they sort of look like, Sam?
1: Yeah, so uh, it was interesting. So Tuesday was almost always hill reps in this six-week block because St. George has has quite a bit of hills, right? So those were always hill repeats. I know like the first week uh, off the top of my head, which would have been five weeks out from St. George, that was five by 20 minutes with five-minute spin between each that was up on Mount Lemmon. Um, and the intervals for those were all done between, well, it was all done between 372 and 386 Watts. Um, and the spins were actually at 300 Watts. So, um, because I was still going up. So (laughs) that's, what's interesting. So yeah, that was, that was like more time spent at 70.3 pace than, than a typical 70.3 on that day. And then I did I sort of did an interesting thing on Saturdays where I started long and then the rides got progressively shorter as I got closer to St. George. And so that first week out was, uh, well, they were all actually like 175 miles. They just got faster. So um, that's like a seven hour. And the first week was seven hours and 45 minutes. And then it went down to like seven hours and 20 minutes. And then. The third week I shortened the ride to just 160 miles. So I took off 50 miles um, and I did that uh, in like six hours and 50 Mm -hmm. minutes. But that ride always started, well, it started with like an hour and a half of riding basically at dawn, more or less in the dark. And then I did what's called the shootout here in Tucson, which is a super hard group ride. So then that was always like 40 minutes at between like 390 and 410 watts, depending on the week. But there were surges within that. And, and I tried to be ready for the surges of St. George. Um, and especially the last one, I tried to, I hit like six surges where I was like up over like 500 watts for two minutes in each of those six surges. So that would be 12 minutes over over 600 watts there, that, that final week there.
0: Are you still coached by Ryan Bolton? I should have asked that off the front.
1: Yeah. Yes, I am. That's correct.
0: Yep. And so with this training, is it, is it is it simply a system where he sets the training and you follow, or is it a bit more collaborative than that?
1: Yeah, it's more collaborative now. We're, we've started to modify it a little bit more. Um, and, and often now I present the ideas, I start to even present some of the sessions or even some full weeks, and, and then he tweaks it from there. Yeah.
0: And so this idea that, I mean, I should, I should talk about a few more specifics, but triathlon to me seems to have changed a lot lately. I don't think, you know, you hear Gustav Eden say it all the time. And, and I think that those of us who watch the sport probably uh, understand this and agree with it, that you can't race the, the way you were in 2019 and expect to win big races in 2022. And he, he's not only talking about the, the, the way you race when, when he's saying that, he's meaning that you can't train and prepare the same way you did in the, you know, the mid-2010s and expect to win races in 2022 in, in male long-course triathlon. Um, and those guys and, and pretty much everyone who's successful at the top end of, of long-course triathlon, you, know, you look at Sam though, Magnus Ditlev even Jan Frodeno, the Norwegians yourself – you were all training a lot. You know, there seemed like there was maybe in like the Craig Alexander, Chris McCormack, Andreas Raylert, Eric Chris Leoto era of the sport, there was this real focus on specificity to the, to the Ironman distance and high volume training. You know, thirty to forty hours a week. And I feel like the sport went away from that a little bit. A lot. Some people were still doing it, but a lot of people were playing with the idea of doing a little bit less and, and going, you know, a little bit more high end in their training. But it really does seem to have gone full circle and, and come back to everyone, particularly on the male side of the sport, is training super high volume at the top end. You know, everyone who's competing for wins is training 30 hours a week minimum again. And I've always felt like you're one of those guys. You do a lot of long sessions, you know, you're just talking about seven hour bike rides and, you know, your, your shortest run being 13, 14 miles, which is pretty, pretty big. Um, do you agree with that? Do you agree that, that to be successful at the top end of the, the male long course triathlon sport at the moment, you have to do a lot of high volume and just a lot of, a lot of training overall.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't think there's any way to get around this sport without doing that. Particularly if you're doing the full Ironman distance, there's a few people who, who used to get away with it a little bit at the 70.3 distance. Um, But even for the seventy point three distance, I think you need you need a lot of volume, and it's really it's pretty simple, I think, to me because okay, like you got to be good at three sports. To get good at any one sport requires a lot of work, Um, so you just need a lot in all three sports. I mean, maybe we don't even need all those hours for the aerobic development per se, but like as far as learning the particulars of each sport and hitting the specific intensity of each sport, like. Just requires so many hours, um, right there, and, and to add in swimming. I mean, I actually swim more, at least from what I've heard, than almost all of the other top guys. Um, but they're better swimmers than me, so they can actually get away with with doing less, uh, which push them in a position where they can put those extra hours actually into the bike and run.
0: Speaking of your swimming, obviously that's something people want to hear about a lot, and I have a few questions myself that I'm interested in. Minor. Are- might be a little different from, from other people or maybe just from the people who are in questions. And um, my sort of big interest lays in where you see yourself in the sport going forward. So where you see your avenue to success. Do you think that to be, say, an Ironman world champ- world champion, do you look at it now and go the way Lionel's going and go, well, I have to swim the same as Magnus Ditlev because if I don't do that, then the race is going to be up the road and, and everyone's riding so strong that I'm not going to be able to get back into it. Or for me to get back into it, I'm going to have to burn so many matches on the bike that I probably can't run a 235, 36 that that's going to be required to to win this race now. So do you do you change the way you you train and and just keep doing more swimming? Or is it that you go and try and find, you know, do you go and try and train with someone like Magnus and just make sure that before you, you get to the world championships next year for example if you do do them that in training you can swim on his feet or do you not focus on it so much and just keep doing what you what you're doing and and let natural progression do its thing and wherever you en- you'll end up you'll end up or do you go and seek out the the very best swim coach in the world like do you come to Queensland in Australia and 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 train under the olympic uh, the Australian Olympic swim swim like head swim coach like how do you go about it like how extreme do you go to to improve your swim to to get closer to the front of the races out of T one.
1: Yeah, so I've been giving this a lot of thought uh, since Kona and and since St George because, I mean, what happened in St George was wrong. But okay, if I was in that front pack, there never even would have been a situation like this that that would have ar- arisen, right? Um, which is crazy to think about, but. Yeah, I, I don't like to pick a particular name quite like Lionel's done. Like, okay, if you don't swim with Lionel, then you can't be competitive. Well, what if you swim 20 seconds behind Magnus? Like, can you still not be competitive or can you be competitive? You know what I mean? Um, that oh, also, like, I can't control. Maybe Magnus next year is swimming uh, with Sam Laidlowe. We don't know for sure. Um, so, So it's a moving target if you just pick one individual. But one thing is for sure, like, it's getting exceptionally difficult to win the big races if your swim is not 100% up there. And and you don't have to be quite front pack, but you have to be in that main group. Um, and so I'm really having to figure out, okay, how do I keep upping my level of swimming? And, and what's interesting is I think you can look at my results or or my swimming gaps to the front and, and kind of say like, well, Sam hasn't really improved at his swimming much in two years. Um, but, but I, I don't feel that's true at all. Well, I know it's not true at all. One, I have my my pool times, but I also have my swim races. And to me, it's very clear that the level of swimming in the sport has just gotten risen above. It's it's a higher level than before. You used to have basically like Josh Amberger and Jan and Alistair Brownlee pushing the swim. That's pretty much it. You used to have like three guys pushing the swim. And now you've got like, if everyone's there, you've got at least 10 guys are pushing the swim so they're all swimming faster and now they can all bike so it's the the race has completely changed and then if you look at them after that you've then got like now 25 guys who are not that far behind those guys so it's really becoming like a true professional sport and that you have to be good at all three and you used to see tons of guys didn't swim that well and got away with it just fine but now very few people are are not making that middle group so yeah, that's a long rant, but in short, like, I have to figure out a system to up my swim even more than I've been doing in the past. And and I just got a call with my with my family telling them, like, hey, sorry, guys, I'm not going to be coming home for Christmas for the second year in a row. <laughs> but because I, I fully plan on, like, I, I won't have an off-season this year. It's just not possible for me. I mean, I'll take a week off after my last race. Um, and then I'm going to be right back in the pool and I'm going to be doing like a big swim camp and I am improving but I also like and, and I've got actually very very good instruction here so I think I've got all the tools but I also then need to give myself time where my bike and run are not at full capacity because I think it's just really hard to absorb all that swimming like when I'm doing seven hour bike rides when I'm doing 20 mile runs because my legs are just smashed and so I'm not quite getting that feel for the water so I'm planning on trying to get as many months or weeks as I can possibly put together with a big swim focus. And then the idea, which, which you see with everyone who's a good swimmer is once you learn how to swim, you don't lose it. Once you get the time, you don't lose it. You have it.
0: Can you just let us all in, where is this swim block going to take place? Who is your coach? Who are your training partners? Um, Because I I think people would want to know that. And I I guess on that, do you, you said that, it's a really tricky one for athletes in like you, you have your own setups and your own systems, but would you can, like I, like I sort of already asked, would you consider saying fuck it and moving to a place where you could train where there's one of the best swim squads in the world with like, you know, a really high level, you know, like the, the head of the, the U S Olympic swim team, their head, their head freestyle coach or something like that. Would you, would you ever make a drastic change?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've totally considered like that's definitely something i would do i just i don't know who i would who i would go and see um because like the demands of triathlon swimming are very different than than the top swimmers swimming um and like if you put i mean if you put me in the pool with like all the top professional swimmers you know in the united states like i wouldn't even be able to swim their intervals that's that's how good they are that like it, it's about finding the right group for you not ne- just necessarily the best group in the world Uh, I think. So anyways, for me here, like I'll I'll be in Tucson basically till May. And I've got this little pool. Um, I actually have two practices I can go to every day. One is at 830. Uh, It's with a, a coach named Justin. That's, that's who Lionel swims with every day at 830. Those are, you've got a coach on deck. It's a little more kind of like lesson oriented, a little more teaching you how to swim. And then I have a fantastic group at noon every day, um, which is all they're actually all former pro swimmers um, or at least collegiate swimmers. Um, And that's just an awesome group. You get to work. uh, One of the guys, actually, he he's the main guy who trains the Navy SEALs how to swim here in the United States. So like top, top caliber. And, And he's kind of become almost my main swim coach, um, giving me lots of instruction. And what's great about him is he's an open water specialist. So he knows really everything you need to know about open water. He's done, well, actually in 1988, he just missed making the Olympics. Um, but then he went into open water swimming. I'm talking like 26 marathon swim races he was doing, swimming swimming 110 per 100 meters for, for a marathon. I'm talking like some crazy high level of swimming. And So my plan is basically to commit to this and and try and get as many weeks as I possibly can where I'm swimming over 30,000 yards with great form, with great focus, with the right allotment of yards, and then to try and get as much time as possible as well, where my running and my biking are at lower volume so that that way my body can just truly absorb all the load from swimming.
0: A big thing here in Australia, Sam, like you obviously, I'm assuming you've been here, you probably, and you see all of our professional triathletes even if they suck at riding their bikes or, or running, Australian triathletes are just usually front pack swimmers. And it's because we have such a swim culture growing up. Like everyone does swimming lessons. A lot of people go to swim squads. Like so many people grow, grow up going to swim squads. And there's a bit of a culture here in Australia where if you're a serious swimmer, you don't swim in short pools. Like it would be like almost laughed at a lot by, by groups here in Australia if you were doing your swims in like 25 meter pools. Um, but I do notice that you do all your swimming in like, is it a 25 yard pool or is it a 30 yard pool? 25
1: yard pool. I know. It, and that's, what's just kind of uh, crazy here in the United States is like 50 meter pools are just not around much. What's crazy is I, there actually is a 50 meter pool, not far from my house, but it's set up as, as 25 yards almost all the time. Now it does switch our our collegiate season. Swims yards all through the fall and the winter. And then they swim meters, long course meters, starting in the spring. So that pool does switch to meters, I think, starting in about March. Um, so at that point, I do start going and doing some swims there. But now I don't have my coach or anything there, but I but I still go there some because it's important to swim the 50 meters. Um, and then like this in the summer this last summer i was either in boulder or i was in europe all summer boulder does have a 50 meter pool only open in the summer and of course in europe i was swimming pretty much exclusively 50 meters like it's actually hard it's hard to find in australia or europe pools that are there that are not 50 meter pools
0: yeah well that's what i was wondering do you when you do transition to the 50 meter pool versus the 25 yard pool do you notice any improvement does it change anything i know like um but people here would swear by it that, that you just can't get fit in a 25 yard pool um that you need a 50 meter pool at least um so i wonder like it just it just i just wonder if you were doing all that work with all those really highly qualified great swimmers good coaches and you just transition it all to a 50 meter pool i wonder if you would get better or whether you would just not notice any difference whatsoever
1: yeah, it'd be interesting. So what's, what's interesting is I actually find I get worse when I first start swimming in a 50-meter pool. Um, so I think there would be like the acute versus the chronic chronic effect. And I think if I was in a 50-meter pool like all the time, then I would get better. But the problem is when I go from short course yards to meters, like at first, well, one, it makes me like really tired because it's way harder. But also my, my stroke count actually drops way down. My, my uh, cadence drops way down. And that then actually has, I've swam slower in open water races. Interestingly, after swimming in a in a fifty meter pool, like in the summer, because I just sort of get this like more efficient stroke, but it's a little longer. While in the in the yard pool, I'm always like having a higher cadence and higher tempo, and then I carry it over into the open water. So, in the short term, it actually appears that that the sh- the short pool is better for me. Um, but I do think in the long term, like if I could have you know, a year straight in the 50 meter pool that then I would probably see benefits.
0: And you wouldn't, with your group at Tucson, like obviously you've got Lionel there and I'm assuming Colin's going to be there a little bit now, who's a great swimmer. Are you, are you like, and I guess it's maybe driven by the Norwegians, this like culture and this group culture approach to long course triathlon. Do you think it's important that you have guys that you're competing against who are pushing you to become a better swimmer, or like would you would you uplift any everything to go and start train? Like would you go and train with Magnus for six months, or go and just you know say to to Olaf Alexander Boo and and the Norwegians, hey, can I just come train for six months? Would you do something like that, or are you just really happy with where you're at um, and the training partners you have in Tucson?
1: That's a good question. Um, I mean. Yeah, I guess I should shoot the Norwegians a question, uh, a message on Instagram. I, th- I think if they said yes, that'd be, uh, it'd be hard to say no to. So, yeah, I think I would, I think I would probably do that.
0: You would actually, you would consider going and living in the Norwegian system with Christian and Gustav and, and like give up everything in your life for however long, 12 months to, to just say, fuck it, I'm going to try this.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's next year they're sort of doing the Olympic cycle, which, uh, I'd do it, but I'd want to make sure, you know, I was getting as much attention. Not that uh, you know, they their coach would maybe be in cahoots and oh, let's use Sam as the the punching bag when it works and, and but if they were like, Oh, we're all in on Sam getting as good as these guys, then yeah. Wow.
0: Well, you surely you've got to shoot that message then. If you're if that's somewhat in your your line of thinking, like of something you would do, you'd be crazy not to to float the question. And Olav is like one of the greatest guys ever. He's like He's not, I don't think he's that kind of guy who would um, who would use you like that. I think he's a genuine, nice guy who would want to help. And I mean, I don't know, he'd probably cost you a bit. I, I really don't, I'm, like, I don't know how that would work, whether they would just be thankful to have another training partner or whether it would cost you heaps. But he seems like the kind of guy to me, and I've, I've chatted with him quite a bit, who who would help if, if he liked you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny. I never really like seriously thought like, oh, they would actually let someone just like, pop into their into their whole culture and, and training group. Um yeah, I mean, it'd be fascinating. At least for, for like six months, it would be fascinating to see to see, okay, like I, I mean it would also just be fascinating from the sport. You know, I think we all have the question like, is it is it their training that's actually making them better? Or is it just because these guys are like, you know, monsters essentially. And I think, you know, like there would only be one way. Like, if I went and suddenly did their training and got worse, then I'd be like, okay, well, that doesn't, <laughs> their training doesn't mean much. They're just monsters, you know?
0: So, I mean, now I just like, now I just want this to happen. I want this message to happen. Do you just shoot, yeah. do you just shoot of an email after this chat?
1: Uh, I'll shoot them a message. I'd be curious what they'd say. We, we have to find out the answer, you know? It is it. one thing to say, it's one thing to say, okay, I do that. And it's another thing to actually do it. You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. That's, that's why I want to rather than just let it like, pass by as a blasé comment I, I need this to happen for myself now like imagine how fun that would be if in 2023 it was the norwegians and sam long trainers together. imagine those youtube videos that would be the funnest thing ever
1: yeah <laughs> yeah exactly i mean then i then i'd have to i'd have to be going after the olympics then i think
0: no but that's why it could work perfectly because like the rumour is that Gustav and Christian probably will be at Kona. That's what I'm hearing. I'm not going to give away where I'm hearing that, but that's what I'm hearing. And even if that means that they're not at their best and they they are targeting the Olympics, maybe that is the, the whole reason why they let you in for a year is because they're not you're not gonna be they maybe they don't see you as like direct, direct competition. Like it's not like you are a um, I don't know, a Sam Laidlow or something like that or Jan Fredino. Um, maybe they do see you as just a great training partner and, you know, maybe your goals don't completely align and you're not going to be direct competitors, even though you you sort of are in a way. That that might be the whole reason why they let you in. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I reckon, yeah, surely you let us, like, surely you screenshot those messages so that we can post them on socials.
1: (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. I mean, the question is, the question is, like... I think they're onto something in the bike and run, but I'm not sure their program is actually the best with swimming, which is what I really need.
0: It's funny though, isn't it? Because Gustav has never really swam front pack of many races ever, but come Kona, Gustav was a front pack swimmer and didn't really look like getting dropped from that. So like when it counts, clearly they can make that happen.
1: Yeah, totally. No, I totally agree. And then, I mean, even uh, Christian, I think was like fourth or fifth out of the water at St. George here
0: yeah and Kona as well he was there was patches at that Kona swim where he was swimming second and third. like they they clearly can make that happen.
1: Yeah, no that's true.
0: going back to your to your running quickly because we've sort of touched on the bike and and now extensively on the swim, I reckon that's that's where I sort of um was most curious about your training and it seems like you were doing a lot longer runs than other professionals I'd seen and and those long runs always had like a lot of quality in them. And it sort of makes sense to me because your coach, Ryan Bolton, he's obviously um, a famous Olympic marathon coach as well. And so it sort of, it sort of seemed to me like you were doing some marathon specific run sessions that were more in line with what like world-class professional marathoners do in their sessions, not really the typical Ironman triathlete run sessions. Can, Can you talk to me about that?
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I've always done like, well, not always, but since I've been with Ryan, I've always done like long and hard runs. Um, it's not like that's something I've just added in this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, the approach seems to work for me. It is. That's the one thing that does seem a bit different than that I do than most other people, because like, like I said, Wednesday is almost always, 14 miles or more. Um, and, and 14 miles is rare for me, even for a Wednesday. Um, and then Sunday is like, if I get, if I see 17 miles on a Sunday, I'm going, wow, that's a, that's a short run for me. Um, and that's always got tempo as well. Um, except for maybe in the winter now, yeah, I agree. It's more of what you would see typical runners do. Um, but it, it comes with a great strength focus and yeah, it's always worked really, really well for me.
0: Okay. So now I want to ask a few, a few more broad ranging questions. I, I want to go deep on your running there as well, but I just feel like I'm going to keep you all day. And, and I, I often try and keep the podcast at like the longest I've ever done is two hours. I feel like if anyone I could go three hours with, it would be you. you just like, I've had so much fucking. and I've wanted to ask you for about six months now. And then on top of that, you go and do all this controversial shit that takes us an hour to talk about. It's um, it's like we could probably do three hours if we wanted to, but to try and keep it a little bit shorter, I want to get your take on some things in triathlon, Sam, because you've got an opinion I care about in this sport. I think you, to me, you think about this sport a little differently to some people and, um, and, and have really interesting takes on things. So some questions about you, some questions about the sport in general. Who do you see as your biggest rival in the sport?
1: Gosh, I, I think right now there's almost too many to to count. But I, I guess if I had to say my biggest rival today, it would be Lionel. My biggest rival that I think throughout the course of my whole career, I think it's, it's too hard to say yet, but I, I can think of like five or six or seven guys who it could potentially be.
0: Yours and Lionel's relationship is a funny one and it's one of the most followed in the sport, isn't it? It's like you guys have started, two of the first guys to go, fuck it, you know, let's promote ourselves, let's build YouTube channels, let's, let's give people something to invest in and care about and Lionel probably has done it even more than you but you definitely jumped on board that and are, are sort of playing the, the second, you know, not the main character role but the second main character role for sure. Are you guys good friends? Do you do you get along? Do you discuss training a lot? Do you go to each other for advice? Are you are you just straight competitors? How how is that how are the the dynamics of that relationship?
1: Yeah, it's changed over time. Like we used to I mean, we used to barely know each other and I, we, you know, we were cordial, but we were definitely like at least me, I was sort of like wanting to go at the guy's throat um which sort of made racing him like that much better almost in a way because it was like you know, I was living and dying by those races, even though I was always getting beat. But every single one, I was like, man, I'm ready to fucking go, <laughs> you know? But, but now we've we've become quite good friends. I mean, we live, we actually live like two miles away from each other now, which is funny because that's the other thing going through my head. Like, okay, you know, the Norwegians have Christian and Gustav to combine, but here in North America, I think if you asked, okay, think of the two names in North America, everyone would come up with Lionel and Sam. So we're, Potentially now it's a little early to say, but we're potentially gonna try and combine forces a little bit here um to try and make each other better, I think. And we already are to a point in swimming. I mean, I swim with the guy now three times a week. Um so yeah, we're definitely friends now, but also still like when the gun goes off, we we love to race each other and we love to love to try and beat each other.
0: Who do you think is the greatest triathlete of all time?
1: Oh gosh, that's a tough question, you know. Um you know, I, I honestly have to go with, I think I think Christian Blumenfeld um, is, yeah, I mean, you know, he maybe doesn't have all the results yet to to establish that, but he's well on his way and what he's already done is like, is crazy. And, and I think if you put any of those other greats and, and said, hey, you got to beat Christian, you know, if you did like a rolling, however many months it's been since the gold medal and said, hey, you have to be a Christian at <laughs> all these races. I mean, all I would say is good luck to anybody.
0: (laughs) Do you, if you could beat one person, so if you could go toe to toe at the world championships next year and have a battle with one person, Jan Fredino, Alistair Brownlee, Christian Blumenfeld, Gustav Eden, which one would mean the most to you to beat?
1: I'd take Jan. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, Jan will kind of be, I don't know. We'll see how Jan is next year, but, uh, yeah, Jan's still just – to beat Jan in
0: his last race would be pretty awesome. Takes me to my next, next question, Sam. Can Jan Fredino beat Gustav Eden and Christian Blumenfeld in Kona ne- next year if they're all on the start line fit?
1: Well, you didn't include me in that list.
0: I didn't include anyone else because that's all everyone's talking about. And I didn't want to have <laughs> to make you say something arrogant, but you can chuck yourself in uh, there.
1: Yeah, but uh, I think, of course, it's possible. You know, I, I think that's why, that's why we do sports. And yeah, I don't think you can count Jan out. I mean, I think it's maybe a stretch, but uh the thing is, none of us really know where Jan is at because we haven't really seen much of him since 2019. But uh that's why we race. And and so I actually think I'd probably be rooting for Jan to win that race.
0: Yeah. You and a lot of the triathlon community, I think. Um, doping in triathlon, Sam, it's a question I, I go to a lot and, and just want to get a lot of opinions on. I want to have I want to have the most like opinions on on whether doping is a factor in our sport of of any podcast that's out there and 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 start getting as many takes on it as i can what's what's your take on on doping in long course triathlon have you seen anything do you think it's out there have you heard anything um, do you think about it at all
1: that's a good question um now i i i've never seen obviously i've never seen anyone dope um and i my inkling, though, is that with all sports, um, if you look at cycling, as more money comes in and as you can, you know, make more money, have more fame, more doping comes in. Um, and so I think our sport is getting to a point where there's a lot more money coming in, and and my suspicion is that that potentially and likely brings more doping in with it um, now we've always had a few bad apples in in the sport of triathlon, but they've been at least it seems like relatively rare. so i I try to be hopeful and I try to hope that that nobody's doping but um yeah, I mean of course I sometimes think about it because i I bust my ass and if anyone is, it's really really unfortunate but uh yeah I, I just try and be positive but I, I do think as more money comes in, we'll probably see more.
0: And so have you seen performances or seen people and thought like had that, that suspicion and said to yourself, that seems like that isn't normal to me, or I don't know if I trust that. Does that, do those kind of thoughts have those kind of thoughts crossed your mind in specific situations?
1: I've had a, I've had a few of those situations. Yes.
0: And I'm assuming you're not going to tell us which ones they are.
1: No, no, definitely not going to, definitely not going to share. Um, <laughs>
0: I have to ask, don't yeah, I?
1: definitely not going to share. But, but here's what I will say. I'll, I'll add one more interesting tidbit of information. Um, you know, testing is what we need in order to keep this sport safe and, and frequent and uh, testing that you don't know when it's going to happen. So this is crazy to me, right? You could ask most people and they would say, I was certainly a contender for the 70.3 world champs, yes? Definitely. So I didn't get tested in the final eight weeks leading into into the race. That is a massive problem to me, massive problem. Because if all the top contenders aren't getting tested eight weeks into the race, like how do we possibly know?
0: Yeah, that's actually crazy. That surprises me because hasn't there been this big thing in um, the Ironman world for, for the American pros where haven't professional licenses gone up in cost and and the, the reason why one of the reasons why Iron Man stated was that it was because they were testing so many more people, the cost was so much higher that they needed to to cover that cost.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I have I haven't followed that, but that is apparently what our pro license pays for. You know, everyone pays a thousand dollars a year for their Iron Man pro license, and yeah, I mean, I I was actually like I was sad not to get because to me that just says okay what's what's going on with the with the testing environment it's uh it's uh, it's an unfortunate situation
0: yeah it's like mate without question i had you down as a top five favorite for the race without question you know that's actually pretty mind-blowing and like i think like you're hinting at it's just disappointing above everything else because look does testing catch everything i think we know historically it doesn't but Fuck, it's nice to know that if you're going to do it, you've at least got to, you know, um, find your way around that testing. Like it's, it's a really scary thought that it's a, you can have an eight-week free-for-all, um, you know, like you could have theoretically taken as much EPO as you wanted in that last eight weeks and no one would know about it right now. You didn't get tested once. There's, there's not, you don't, you wouldn't have had a worry in the world. That is like, um, yeah, that's a scary world for a professional endurance sport, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so on that, um, I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't want to take up all of your time. Um, <laughs> probably my, my next questions for you are, uh, with the sport going forward, Sam, so, I mean, you already touched on, like, what you might do or might not do next year, and uh, but I still want to know, like, what, what do you want from the sport? Do you, like, in your heart, do you want to be an Ironman world champion? Do you want to be an Ironman 70.3 world champion? Do you just want to have performances that you're, That you're proud of what like what is it that that someone like you wants from the sport going forward
1: yeah i want to be able to say i'm the best and i think in the sport it used to be simple because it used to say you were the best just with kona that was really the only way you could say you were the best but now the opportunities around that are changing i think um and so with that i'm i'm somewhat having to change okay like what does it mean to be the best um and and I still think Kona is is the gold example of that. And for me, Kona's Kona's a project, um, but that's the thing, right? Kona, the the expectations and, and the significance of Kona could easily change in the next five years. Um, so then I might have to change. Okay, well, what does it mean to be the best? And in, in what race or races is that determined at? Um, and I'll also say, like when I started this sport, you know, I thought, okay, this is what being the best would take and this is what it would mean and i I looked at guys like you know Sebastian Keenley and Jan and, and even Ben Hoffman, who's a good mate of mine and, and right he's been second at Kona and I thought okay like this is what it would take and i I, I truly thought okay like I have that in me without a doubt and, and I even thought okay I can win multiple Konas, multiple of these things but right now the level is is so high that I'm like okay I just gotta be right now like being the best I, I I do think at the 70.3 I can be the best. Um, but at Ironman right now, I I feel I have some room to go and some room to grow. And so it's it's also acknowledging that I've got a process here and a, a road to become truly the best at the full distance. Um, and, and so I wanted to say, okay, I'll become the best at the half distance and then the best at the full distance. Um, and so I guess now I'm still on that path for another year.
0: <laughs> are you a one-percenters guy? Like, Are you... Is there outside of training, to me, you've always just come across as a guy who goes and does the fucking work, like trains hard, trains long, um, you know, you you put in the work and, and I always assumed, maybe naively, and I don't know why I assumed this, I assumed that the 1% didn't mean that much to you and that you were, you know, you just, you just did the work. Are you someone who focuses heavily on like your sleep or your diet or, um, you know, altitude, heat? Do you, do you do any of that kind of stuff? are you are you doing other things that maybe we don't know about outside of your training?
1: I'd say I'm getting I'm getting more involved with those aspects, um, but that I, I've still historically i've I've gained a lot just by yeah, focusing on doing the work. and in my athletic age is still relatively young, um, generally speaking for for a world class athlete. I, I haven't been a, a triathlete for all that long. But I, I, I'm trying to find the effects to these things. Now, it's not always super easy to find the answers to, okay, does altitude help? I, I'm from altitude, um, so I grew up at altitude for the first 18 years of my life. Um, and, and nutrition, I mean, I have a very simple view on nutrition. I, I eat to fuel the body. I have a common phrase that I don't think is unusual, carbs are king. And, you know, I, am really not weird about food. I, I, I just eat to fuel the body. And yes, I focus on eating healthy, but I'm not like, uh, I, I eat plenty of calories. And so if I meet my micronutrients, then I'd focus on the macronutrients essentially, but yeah, there's, there's more room to grow. And, and I feel like I need, I do need someone on my team who's going to start to help me with those things because it's hard to figure all those things out on your own.
0: Well, maybe it's Olaf Alexander, boo, mate.
1: We'll see, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, I reckon we we wrap it up there. Um, I, I just can't thank you enough for coming on and being so open and honest, mate. I I love that about you. Um, you're a guy who splits opinion in the triathlon world, and we don't have a lot of them. And I think it's great for the sport. You're you're not afraid to be yourself. You're controversial at times. You're you know you're you you're really you're good for this sport you're a personality and you're not afraid to put yourself on the line or put yourself in front of the public you're not allowed to, you're not you're not afraid to face the people and and say this is me love me or hate me and i love that about you and 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 so it's not really surprising to me that you come on and and be so honest about everything that's going going on and i asked you a question and and you just tell me like you don't you don't really sugarcoat anything and yeah i i I just want to i want to be one of those people who who encourages you to to know that you've got a lot of fans in the sport um and and a lot of people love what you're doing and uh, yeah i I want you to to keep being yourself and and not ever worry about what what people say that that are on the negative side or or any of that, and just just know that you're good. You're good for this sport. You're the, you're you're the reason I watched the Collins Cup this year. I had decided I wasn't going to watch <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Like you you keep eyeballs on the sport. You keep interest on the sport, and and you you're a good, honest person. So um, I'm a big fan. I, I, huge respect to the way you go about your training and racing above all else. But but thank you so much for coming on and 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 using how they train as as a platform to to talk about the incident at the 70.3 world championships that means a lot to me personally um, but but yeah on on top of that the way you've gone about it and, and the honesty and um, and just rawness and realness you've shown it's um it's awesome mate it's great for the sport and and, and I love you for it so thanks for coming on
1: yeah, thank you, Jack. I have a feeling this this episode will divide and will give many people opinions, like like most things I do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, all right, Sam. H- have a good day, mate. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll chat again soon. But you've got to you've got to send me a message and and let me know what what goes on with the the Norwegian project because now I'm invested.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll keep you posted. You know, If, if it happens, uh, then I guess you get a percentage if, if, my, if my results go
0: up and get much better. <laughs> uh, I don't want a percentage, but I want an interview with you and Christian at the same time, or you and Olav at the same time. That's all I'll ask for.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, mate. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you. Okay. Cheers. Like I said at the start of the episode, this chat with Sam Long was brought to you by Pillar Performance. Don't forget to click the link in the description to head over to Pillar Performance's website and try any of their micronutrient products. Um, Also remember to use the discount code HTT10, which is in the description as well while you're there every product pillar performance make is designed to support your training and racing um, and your ultimately your recovery so like you know by now i'm a huge adv- advocate for their triple magnesium powder i literally can't recommend it enough if you're if you're going to try anything it might be the place to start in my opinion but seriously there's so many other things there that that you can scroll through and look at and and decide what product might might help your training and racing based on your needs so yeah link in the description